turn in your Bibles, please, to Isaiah and chapter 12. I'm going to read this brief chapter. Once again, in your hearing, I'd like to ask Tim Failer if he would ask God's blessing upon the word declared. Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day thou shalt say, I will give thanks unto thee, O Jehovah, for though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For Jehovah, even Jehovah, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Give thanks unto Jehovah. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto Jehovah. For he hath done excellent things. Let this be known in all the earth. Cry aloud and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion. For great in the midst of thee is the Holy One of Israel. Let us pray. second verse taken by itself behold God is my salvation I will trust and will not be afraid for Jehovah even Jehovah is my strength and song and he has become my salvation we have here interestingly repetition of at least two things Jehovah Jehovah and also in this single verse, salvation. Salvation mentioned twice. What is the connection? Is there any connection? Surely there must be. We are somewhat familiar with a practice in the Hebrew language where duplication is used for emphasis. And we'll be looking at that in a little bit. But I would assert that there is indeed a strong connection here. Why I say a road. In one single verse, Jehovah, Jehovah. And then applied the word or used the word salvation twice in this single verse. 
In Isaiah, in the 42nd chapter, we may have something of an explication. Isaiah 42, a rather familiar portion of God's word. We read this in the first few verses. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry, nor lift up his voice, nor cause it to be heard in the street. A bruised reed will he not break, and a dimly burning wick will he not quench. He will bring forth justice in truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he have set justice in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. <clears throat> we mostly understand this. When I say mostly, I mean most of us here in this room, most of God's sincere people recognize that as speaking of salvation through the servant of Jehovah the servant who is spoken of in this portion that we just read. There are blessings that accrue from these features that we have just read of. And in verse six and a few beyond that, we read, I, Jehovah, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am Jehovah. <clears throat> that is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise unto graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. But he says here in this context, I am Jehovah. That is my name. We see this picture of this servant of Jehovah. We see the blessings that flow to his people from his being given for a covenant, given for a covenant in righteousness of the people, a covenant of the people. And we recognize these words spoken, these thoughts regarding the light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes and so on. References in the New Testament to our Lord Jesus Christ. These blessings that we see in verses 6 through 9. Are these not enough? These blessings, I say. And the ones I would insinuate that are referred to in type in Isaiah chapter 12 that we read. Are these not enough and more than enough to evoke praise and thanksgiving? We read in the 10th verse here, Sing unto Jehovah a new song and his praise from the end of the earth. Sing unto Jehovah a new song. These things that we read of so, so frequently in Isaiah, and there's good reason why many refer to it, including myself, as the gospel of Isaiah. I believe that he's the most evangelistic prophet that we find in the Old Testament. And so we see that we do have more than enough reason to sing praise and to, and to render thanksgiving, to sing unto Jehovah a new song. 
Why the repetition, perhaps, in that verse that we alluded to, our chapter 12 and verse 2, why the repetition of salvation? Why the repetition of Jehovah's name again? They are intrinsically connected. Jehovah's name, God's name, Jehovah, means a great deal to him. And we find in portions of God's word, we find reference to, can we put it this way, speaking reverently, I trust, um, hopefully not speaking irreverently of God, that it pleases him to bring forward how he feels about his name. In Ezekiel 39 at 25, we read, Therefore thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Now will I bring back the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. I will be jealous for my holy name. What are we to gather from that? God is jealous for his name. He's given us commandments regarding that we ought not to take his name in vain. He is jealous for his name. He is jealous for his name's sake. He is jealous for those who take his name upon themselves. We live in a day and an age when a name means very little anymore. People put their name to documents and it means very frequently, it means nothing or less than nothing. But there was a day that a name meant something and that <clears throat> many human beings were indeed jealous for their name. They were jealous for the family name. It used to mean something, but it still means something to our God. He is jealous for his holy name, and his name is holy. Jehovah, the God of hosts, is jealous for his holy name. When we think about that name, Jehovah, <clears throat> I believe that most of us, immediately our thoughts go to Exodus in the third chapter where we read these words with regard to this name. This encounter between Moses and God, between Moses and this theophany, between Moses and this Christophany, as some of us believe. In Exodus chapter three, and Moses said unto God in the 13th chapter, Behold, when I come, he's directed him to go and bring his people out of Egypt. When I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial unto all generations. The Lord spoke 
Jehovah spoke out of this burning bush unto Moses. And he said, I am that I am. Eya asher, eya. I am who I am. I will be that I will be. It can be rendered in any of those suggested renderings. I am he who is. I am he who is. He who is. I am Jehovah. I am that I am. And he's referred here to the fact that it's a memorial. This is his memorial name. These things are brought together in Psalm 135 and a couple of other places, but <clears throat> Psalm 135 and verse 13. We read these words, Thy name, O Jehovah, endureth forever. Thy memorial name, O Jehovah, throughout all generations. He went on, did he not, to tell Moses that I have heard the call of my people, the cry of my people from Egypt. I've heard their cry and I remember my covenant with Abraham, his memorial name, his remembering his covenant with Abraham. God's memorial name in Hosea in the 12th chapter. We read a reference to this as well. Hosea chapter 12. At the third verse. <clears throat> speaking about Jacob. It is said in the womb he took his brother by the heel. And in his manhood he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Speaking of Jacob again, of course. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him at Bethel. And there he spake with us. Who? Even Jehovah, the God of hosts. Jehovah is his memorial name. Jehovah is his memorial name. Exodus in the sixth chapter, in a reference to what we just read, <clears throat> in the third chapter, we find it somewhat embellished, if, if you will. God spake unto Moses at the second verse of chapter six and said unto him, I am Jehovah, and I appeared unto Abraham unto Isaac and unto Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah I was not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their sojournings, where they sojourned, and so on. <clears throat> speaks in connection with his name, Jehovah. He speaks of it as a memorial name. He speaks of it as a covenant name, covenant in both cases with Abraham, that Abrahamic covenant. He remembered his covenant. Does this not speak what we've just read of the covenant made with Abraham? I have already asserted that it does. Is that Jehovah not the covenant name of God? I again assert that what we just read powerfully suggests that it is indeed 
Jehovah, the I am, his memorial name. I have remembered my covenant, he has said more than once. One man <clears throat> wrote with reference to some of these things, saying in the name of, in the name Jehovah, the personality of the supreme is distinctly expressed. And others have written that this is God's personal name, Jehovah. He has many names, but this is his personal name. And this man goes on saying it is everywhere a proper name denoting the person of God and him only. Elohim denoting usually the supreme. The Hebrew may say the Elohim. The true God in opposition to all false gods. But he never says the Jehovah. Jehovah is his name. For Jehovah is the name of the true God only. The Israelite or the Jew, the Hebrew may speak of the living God, but never of the living Jehovah. For he cannot conceive of Jehovah as other than living. Jehovah is my name, God has told us. <clears throat> I think you, you probably, most of you, likely all of you know that I use the American Standard Version. I don't know if there are any other translations, English translations, that have retained the use of the name Jehovah. But bear with me as I read in the preface to the American Standard Version this short paragraph demonstrating their reasons, defending the fact that they changed. In other words, the American Standard Version was a revision of the King James and of the English Bible <clears throat> of 1881. But the man writing this preface says the change first recommended, there were a number of changes in, in the bringing forth of this 1901 American Standard, the American Revisers to the English Revision of the 1880s gave their help. They were asked for help from the English Revisers. They gave their help, but they stipulated, I think it was 20 year period, they wanted permission to be able to go ahead and publish their own revision. And this was agreed upon. So many of the their suggestions and their thoughts were not contained, were not made use of in the English revision. So that's what he's talking about, these different changes to that. He says the change first recommended in the appendix, that which substitutes Jehovah for Lord and God, is one which will be unwelcome to many because of the frequency and familiarity of the terms displaced. In other words, on the surface it does. You're taking out Lord, you're taking out God on the surface. But the American revisers, he goes on, after a careful consideration were brought to the unanimous conviction that a Jewish superstition, which regarded the divine name as too sacred to be uttered, 
ought no longer to dominate in the English or any other version of the Old Testament, as it fortunately does not in the numerous versions made by modern missionaries. This memorial name explained in Exodus 3, 14 and 15 and emphasized as such over and over in the original text of the Old Testament designates God as the personal God, as the covenant God, the God of revelation, the deliverer, the friend of his people, not merely the abstractly eternal one of many translations, but the ever-living helper of those who are in trouble. This personal name with its wealth of sacred associations is now restored to the place in the sacred text to which it has unquestionable claim. That according to the revisers of the American Standard Version of the Old Testament, Superstitious, he calls it. I couldn't help but reflect on that. I think what Mark was bringing to us the last, uh, at least the last two weeks has reference to what we, it's a tradition, it's a law according to the Jews, according to the circumcision, that they must be circumcised, but is it not also a tradition among them? And could it not be very easily considered a superstitious Tradition, and especially if somebody follows it without faith in it, would that not be superstition? Paul speaks of superstition in Acts 17 when he was speaking to those at Athens. You'll probably remember when he said, Ye men of Athens, in all things I perceive that ye are very religious. In the margin, it says somewhat superstitious, very religious. Is that not really a negative application of the idea of religious? You're very religious. We know what people mean when they say, oh, he's very religious. It's not usually a compliment. It's usually, oh, yeah, you know, he's a teetotaler. He's a this and he's a that. He's a legalist. They don't mean it in the sense of religion toward God, but it's, this negative idea of superstition. I believe that, that these writers of this preface are correct when they speak of this being a Jewish superstition. Why, why would we follow a Jewish superstition if indeed we become convinced that that's what it is? <clears throat> why would we follow the Jewish superstition of circumcision? Why would we follow anybody's superstitions? And I believe that that's what's been done. I know that I've been, over the years, criticized for using this particular translation with regard to the use of Jehovah, because it is strange, as they admit. It is different. But it's been suggested that I'm the one that's being very religious. I'm the one that's being superstitious. I, I agree with these, these translators that, that, it's sup, you know, that it's a Jewish superstition and that we don't need to follow that Jewish superstition. I'm not trying to convince anybody to change their Bibles. Please understand that. I'm just trying to explain the argument for continuing the use of Jehovah. And I was 
quite pleased that a number of the hymns we sang today have Jehovah in them. And I didn't have time to check, but I think that the, the scriptures they were referencing, if you looked them up in the King James, they probably didn't have Jehovah there. There's only seven times that Jehovah is used in the King James. But at any rate, I was thrilled. And not only that, but how many of the songs today, and was I just sensitized to this because of what I've been studying? But it just seems like that so many of the hymns that were selected for today were talking about rendering praise unto Jehovah for how great he is and for his so great salvation. And that's really, I believe, what <clears throat> Isaiah is saying in this 12th chapter that we've been looking at. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid for Jehovah, even Jehovah is what? Is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Notice that it does not say my strength and shield, as David says so many times, but Jehovah has become his strength and song. Let us sing a new song unto Jehovah, we read elsewhere. I am he. I am he. And we looked at in, in, a, in the 41st chapter of Isaiah a little bit earlier. I am he. Those simple words. God saying, I am he. In the fourth verse of Isaiah 41, speaking of his works, he's, who hath wrought who hath wrought and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I, Jehovah, the first and with the last. Does that ring a bell, the first and the last? He says, I am he. I am he. And in the 43rd chapter, we read also at verse 10 and at verse 11, similar concepts. Ye are my witnesses, in verse 10, God says. Ye are my witnesses, saith Jehovah, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that what I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am Jehovah, and besides me there is no Savior. I am he. The, the word, the I am, I am that I am, it's I am he, I am the only God, I am the only savior, I am the only, uh, what's the word, a saity, the only independent being, I am the only being that needs no other, I am complete in myself, I am he, I am he, even Jehovah, no savior, Besides me, yea, since the day was, I am he. I am he. None other is me. I am he. None other is me. We already mentioned about how the Hebrew language uses often repetition for emphasis. And we've been reminded on Thursdays more than once about the language in Genesis 2.17 when, when our, most of our Bibles say, in that day that you take of that tree, ye shall surely die. And it should be rendered dying, ye shall die. That's surely dying. 
ye shall die. That repetition that emphasizes these things. We see it in the, in the holy of holies. Not just holy, but holy of holies. The song of songs. This repetition for emphasis. When Noah curses, cursed Canaan. In Genesis 9.25, for emphasis most likely, the curse says about Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brother. Not just a servant. You're not just going to be a slave. You're going to be lower than that. A servant of servant unto his brother. And in Isaiah 34.10, we read, It shall not be quenched night nor day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall be waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. Sounds like references to the biblical teaching of hell. Some people think that it's only going to last for a time. It seems like that it's forever and ever, if this is any relationship here. But to get back to our point, it could be rendered for the evermore of evermores. Ever and ever. Repetition means something. In most languages, and it definitely in the Hebrew, means something, this repetition. And in our, even in our verse, Isaiah 12, too, one ancient text has it, not simply, behold, God is my salvation, but behold God, the God of my salvation. Repeating the name God, and then going on, as we've already looked at, also repeating the name Jehovah. Behold God, the God of my salvation, for Jehovah, even Jehovah. That repetition. Somebody will say it doesn't take much to get David excited, but I was excited again when we sang this chorus because of its providential connection. Nobody's going to accuse me of being all excited about choruses, but there are some beautiful ones, and we've been singing a lot of psalms. But this we sang this morning. We will glorify the King of Kings. Who is the King of Kings? Who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Is it not Jesus? We will glorify the Lamb. Well, who is the Lamb? Jesus Christ. We will glorify the Lord of Lords. Who is this? The Lord of Lords. Again, the same answer. Who is the great, the chorus went on, who is the great I am? The great I am. The King of Kings, the Lamb of God, the Lord of Lords, the great I am, Jehovah Jesus. We find many I am's. I expect that most of you are familiar with, with these I am's of Christ. I suppose somebody's written a book about them. I don't know. But they're worth being reminded of. There are several in the book of John. In chapter 6 at verse 35, we read these words. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. And in 8, chapter 8, in the 12th verse, 
Again, therefore, Jesus spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the lights of the world. I am. And in the 10th chapter, at verse 7, Jesus therefore said unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And he repeats that in the ninth verse. I am the door of the sheep. The 11th chapter. I hope nobody is even inclined to get bored at hearing about Jesus being the I am. The 11.25, Jesus said unto her, I have a hard time reading this without saying, he's talking with Martha. I have a hard time reading this without saying, Martha, Martha, I am, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he live, though he die, yet shall he live. I am the resurrection. And in the 14th chapter, in the 6th verse of 14, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, how do we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, Thomas. And in the 15th, at the very first verse, Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And in the fifth verse, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. The I am, the great I am, Jesus Christ himself. I couldn't help but reflect on, on the description that we have given. We already looked at it. Let us look at it just once again. This description in Exodus 3 of the burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God unto Oreb. And the angel of Jehovah appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside now and see, what this, see this great sight, why this bush is not burnt. Here's a burning bush. Can you imagine? It seems like that this that when we read that, we just read it, oh, that's kind of interesting. We don't take it all in. We take so very little all in. We don't take that all in. Here is Moses out shepherding the sheep, and, and, he, and he sees this burning bush, but what else? He hears a voice from the bush. Compare that with these words of John. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the candlesticks, one like unto a son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about at the breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. 
and his feet like unto burnished brass, as if it had been refined in a furnace, and his voice as the voice of many waters. I compare. I compare Moses' sight of the burning bush and John's sight of the glorified Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am he. I am he, Jesus can say. I am he. This came most pointedly conspicuous in the 18th chapter, you probably remember this as well, because I believe that I'm standing before a lot of Bible readers. In the 18th chapter of John, we read, beginning at verse 4, this is the arrest, this is Judas' betrayal. We read, Jesus, therefore, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, went forth and saith unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am. And Judas also who betrayed him was standing with them. When therefore he said unto them, I am. They went backward and fell to the ground. Yes, in italics it adds he. But the words are, I am. Whom seek ye? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. And they fell backwards. We tend, do we not, to focus our attention upon the fact that when Jesus said, I am, these soldiers all fell backward. But I think we should realize that the question, the question from eternity had always been, who is willing to lay down their life to satisfy the justice of his Father? Who is willing to redeem the souls that the Father had given him from before the foundation of the world? Who is willing? And Jesus stepped forward and said, I am. I am he. Indeed, he had said it many, many, many years earlier when he said in his pre-incarnate state, Lo, I am come. In the roll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great assembly. Who is willing to die for his sheep? Who is willing to lay down his life to satisfy his father's justice? I am, Jesus said. And should not all the redeemed of the Lord shout out with Isaiah, Behold God, the God of my salvation. Is Jehovah, even Jehovah, not your strength and song? who has become your salvation. This great I am, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh, Father.
We have not loved thee as we ought. We have not served thee as we ought. We have not feared thee as we ought. Change these things, we pray, in our hearts and minds, even this day. Oh, that we might have so much greater admiration and gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ for saying, I am, and for laying down his life for us. May we have so much more gratitude to our Father in heaven for giving his only begotten Son that we might be spared. Father, we praise thee tonight. We thank thee and bless thee for thy love for us and for sending thy Son to say, I am. Amen. Benediction is taken from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 23. Please give attention to these words. They might not seem relevant on the surface. Jeremiah 31, 23. Thus saith Jehovah of hosts, the God of Israel, Yet again shall they use this speech in the land of Judah and in the cities thereof, when I shall bring again their captivity, or bring them back from captivity. Jehovah bless thee, O habitation of righteousness, O mountain of holiness, the church of Jesus Christ. Amen.